June 7th, 2022, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin on Daf Ayin Bet, Amud Bet. If you count from the bottom of the page, it's 13 lines up. It's the third word on the line. It says the Gemara, Amar Ravuna. Ravuna's statement, which could and will for our purposes stand aside from anything that was mentioned earlier. Katan Harodef, it'll be significant based on the final words in this sugya, but in the initial 12 lines, we have no mention of what we learned earlier. Katan Harodef Nitan Hatzilo Benafsho. The statement here of Ravuna goes as follows If there's a katan, a child, a child whom we assume, al pi halacha, is eno bardat, and as a result, uh, as not having the cognitive ability uh, to determine what they're doing in the appropriate fashion, we generally speaking, will not put them to death in betin. That's the halacha with regards to a katan. The technical aspects with regards to a katan, the reason and the way in which we say they're not susceptible to death penalty is we say they're not able to accept the hatra'a, the warning, because they can't fathom and understand exactly what they're doing. Statement of Rav Huna in turn is katan harodef, if there's a katan, a child who's running after another in order to kill them, you're allowed to, and perhaps even mandated, commanded, as we'll discuss on Dafa'in Gimal, to kill the Rodef, even though they're a child, says the Gemara, Kasavar, clearly the opinion of Ravuna is, Rodef eno sarichatra. A Rodef, a person who's the pursuer of another, does not need a hatra'a, much as we saw by Mahteret. I guess I said I wouldn't reference the last sugya, but we don't need it, although we will in the final lines over here. But much as the Mahteret, if a person's found in the tunnel, the Gemara asks, but you're allowed to kill them anytime they're on your property, whether they're in Gago, Karpifo, Hatsero, and any other place on your property, not only when they tunneled in, asked the Biraita, if you recall. So, Imken, Matalmud, Lamar, Mahteret. So then, why does the Torah reference specifically the tunnel? answered the Gemara, zohi if a person is to be found in the tunnel, that constitutes, that counts as their hatra. The claim in turn of Ravuna, says the Gemara, is whether you're a katan or even if you're a gadol, the circumstance defines you as being purposeful in action, and as a result, in order to save the nirdaf, in order to save the one who's being pursued, we can and perhaps must kill the pursuer even though we don't issue a warning and they don't accept a warning. Again, Katan Harodef, the statement of Ravuna, Nitan Hatzilo Benavsho, says the Gemara clearly his opinion is Kasavar, he is of the opinion, Ravuna is, Rodef eno sarichatra'a, lashena gadol velashena katan, irrespective of whether we're dealing with a child or an adult, if by the child you can and must kill the child who's pursuing, so it's so too as well by the adult, says the Gemara Etive, Rav Hasta le Ravuna, Rav Hasta in turn asks a question from the Mishnah in Masechet Aholot, on Ravuna. Says the Mishnah, in the context of the Mishnah is a woman is uh, having a, a pain and difficulty in, uh, in labor, in, in birthing a child. And in such a circumstance, there's a fear or the understanding of the doctors that her life is imperiled. By giving birth to this baby, she's going to die. And as a result, the question is, what are we to do? Says the Mishnah, in the words before the ones that we'll read over here, Rashi already references and cites it for us, if the baby is still internal, the baby's head is not protruded yet from the mother, hasn't yet uh, stuck out, in such a circumstance, whether 
as Harambam fills in the gaps, whether you use a, uh, a sam, you use some medicinal way of doing so, or alternatively directly with the hands or utensils of the doctors, what you do is, since the baby is imperiling the life of the mother, you kill the baby. That's the circumstance. If the baby is internal, lo yasa rosho, lo yasa rubo, the baby's majority or the head specifically of the baby is still internal, we stick our hands in, we use a medicine in order to kill the baby in such a circumstance. However, and we're going to talk about this briefly in the context of abortion and the contemporary or regular usage, yasar roshor, what if the head already is protruding, in no in such a circumstance you can't touch the baby. And as a result, the mother will die, but you can't avoid that by killing the baby, whether with medicine or with your hands or with utensils, as we mentioned earlier. Why not? Because in such a circumstance, we're not allowed to push, or in all circumstances, one life in order to save another life. That's the halacha over here. Just very briefly before we read, understand the question in the Gemara, very briefly, what's the difference between the baby who has not yet protruded and the one who has already come out with the head at the very least? Rashi, interestingly and very importantly, says that the difference is right there in the words. The difference between the baby who has not yet come out and the baby who has come out is the difference between a nefesh and a non-nefesh. Now that's a startling statement. Rashi's claim is when the baby is still internal for the matters and the circumstances and consequences of murder specifically, we determine that this baby is not considered a nefesh. Now that's a very interesting claim that would perhaps, although it would be a mistake to think so, lead us to say, well, if it's not considered a nefesh, according to Rashi, so then I have no issue whatsoever in any circumstance where the mother determines for whatever reason that she wants to terminate the life of that baby, she could do so. It's not so, both according to Rashi and even according to Harambam, who's the dissenting opinion on this matter in Perek Alfilchotrosea But very briefly to mention to you why not, the Gemara, if you recall, in Dafmimtet had this statement that there's no matter which is prohibited for B'nai Noach, but is permitted for B'nai Israel. That was the incredulous statement. Do you really think there's no matter which is prohibited for them and permitted for us? In that context, Tosafot, picking up on the context of the Gemara, says, and as a result, abortion, much as it's prohibited for them, so too it is for us. So that's already an understandable, uh, accepted, uh, understand, uh, accepted uh, practice and norm. The question is, with regards to if the baby is internal for our purposes, why is it and how is it that we're determining you're allowed to kill the baby according to Rashi, because it's not considered a nefesh. According to Harambam, we're going to see in a moment, it's a difficult sell. However, from our Gemara, however, Harambam does write it. It much vexed the rabbis of many generations to understand Harambam. Harambam says, the reason you're allowed to kill the baby in such a circumstance is because the baby is considered a rodef. The baby inside the mother, mother is considered the rodef, the pursuer of the mother, which makes us understand that only because it's considered a rodef are we allowed to kill the baby. Otherwise, it would have constituted murder. That's the question. The question effectively is not whether it's permitted or not, 
but rather in the circumstance of danger, why it's permitted. According to Harambam, it appears clear it's because abortion, generally speaking, will be considered murder. According to Rashi, it might be something along the lines of killing the baby would be considered havala, which means to say damage. And the Torah is clear. If you kill the baby even when it's internal, you have to pay money. There's a damage effect over here as well. That, in turn, is a mahlokin amongst two of the Gedoleha Aharonim, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and Rabbi Eliezer Yehud of Waldenberg. In Igrot Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein, picking up on the words of Harambam and understanding those as the mainstream normative approach says, abortion would be considered, again, an ex- ex- the exception being extenuating cir- circumstances such as what we're discussing, as Harambam sets clear in his eyes, it'd be considered murder. That's a very severe penalty. You're dealing with something very significant and and severe, and as a result, we don't play with that in any way, shape, or form, unless it's imperiling the life of the mother, and it's still internal, as the Mishnah will tell us uh, right here. Alternatively, Rav Waldenberg, although not permitting, although not heke saying, so therefore you play with them, you do as you see fit, his understanding of the severity is different, it's a severity of havalah. That's the beginnings of the conversation. I don't know that in this class we should or will go much further than that, but that's the ABCs with regard it's all from these lines here in the Gemara and the ensuing several lines. That's where the whole debate begins and to a certain extent ends. You need the Gemara and Memtet. That makes clear, at least according to Tosafot, that abortion would be prohibited. And then you need this Mishnah to understand what's the prohibition and in turn, what does it take, quote unquote, to overrule? According to Harambam, it would only take and specifically take life being endangered. According to, according to Rashi, it might take less. If you're only dealing with havala, if you're only dealing with damage at its core, fundamentally, with regards to the prohibition over here, so it takes just one or two extenuating circumstances, but not necessarily imperiling the life of the mother. It's for that reason that the question is raised and we won't resolve it here, if the baby is determined to have Tay-Sachs or something along those lines. In other words, the baby's determined that it's going to die within a short period of time. What are we to do in such a circumstance? Now you need to take into account both, both Rabbi Moshe Feinstein slash Harambam's approach and Rav Waldenberg slash Rashi's approach for determining, and you'll understand there'll be more room for leniency, but not a full room for leniency from Sitz Eliezer. Okay, anyway, says, says, the, says the Mishnah over here again for our purposes, all that notwithstanding, but all that very important. So again, the circumstance, the situation is the baby's head has protruded. It's imperiling the life of the mother. However, since it's protruded, we consider it a full-fledged nefesh, and as a result, we're not allowed to kill the baby in order to save the mother's life. Wait a second. Says Rav Hastat to Rav Huna, I thought you told me anytime I have a rodef situation, a pursuer, I kill the pursuer irrespective of their cognitive ability. They don't need to accept a hatra. This baby is no different. Shouldn't I kill this baby? No, 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 the head is out. And No, what are you talking about? It's a pursuer. It's no different. 
different than the kid who's running after someone else. What do you do, said Ravuna. Ravuna said, you put a bullet in the kid's head. It's a terrible thing to say, but the kid is holding a gun. He might not fully understand what he's doing, but he's considered a rodef. In such a circumstance, we kill the kid. Why? Ve'amai, says Rav Hastat Ravuna, rodefu, in such a circumstance, the baby's head, which has come out, which has breached, is in turn considered a rodef. Who cares that it's endohinefesh mpnenefesh? We should kill the baby. Answers the Gemara for Ravuna. Shanehatam shonesham. The case is different over there. Dimishemaya karadvela. Mishemaya, Shemaya, of course, reference the heavens. Karadvela, they're pursuing, which means to say, in the words of Harambam, if I remember them properly, Kahidar koshel olam. This is a natural circumstance. Childbirth is going to be dangerous. And as a result, we cannot and should not, as a result, uh, consider this baby, although it's true the baby doesn't have knowledge and should be likened somewhat to the child who's running after another but not exactly. We have levels of cognition. Whereas the child's running after another, that's not a regular occurrence. We look at that child and say, out of the norm circumstance, save the life. Over here, it's childbirth. We, so to speak, put it in the hands of God. And as a result, we will not kill this baby. We put it on even a lower cognition level than the child. Do you understand the difference? Again, the Gemara says, in such a circumstance, we say this is a natural occurrence. And as a result, we're not toying with it. But wait a second, the katan harodif wasn't that? Now that's less natural, that's a human being, but he doesn't have volition, he has somewhat of a volition, and as a result, we kill in that circumstance. So you could basically use this approach, this uh, logic, and apply it to any time a person's sick, God forbid, in a hospital, they're on their deathbed, oh, Hashem sent them a nachala, Hashem sent them a No, 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 I, I don't... You kill them. I got you, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got what you're saying, but over here, keep in mind, it's... Our whole, we're dealing with two lives over here. There you're dealing with one life. Over here we're dealing with two lives, so it's quote-unquote one versus the other. And over here we'll say God is the arbiter. If it's one person, we say, You have to save the life. You have to go after it. And so that's, that's the way you distinguish it. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. No, he says, but one person's in danger. Just say God's running his course. No, we're not going to say that. We're going to say if one person's endangering the other, we won't touch that one person in order to save the other. You know, put in different words, although it's not necessarily what Talmud Bavli over here is saying. Talmud Yerushalmi phrases it a bit differently, and, uh, and in turn, maybe it'll make it a little bit more clear. Talmud Yerushalmi doesn't have it, if I remember correctly, exactly in these words. Talmud Yerushalmi says, whose life, who's chasing after whom? Is it the mother who's chasing after the baby or the baby who's chasing after the mother? We assume, well, it's the baby who's imperiling the mother. Says Talmud Yerushalmi, this was in God's hand. Maybe God is making the mother and the baby chase after the mother. Do you understand? That's the way that's put. Now, the question is raised by Rashi. There is a case in Tanakh, the case of Sheva ben Bichri. If anyone knows the story of Sheva ben Bichri, Sheva ben Bichri was a rebel, rebellious person against David HaMelech. David HaMelech had, of course, his Sar Sava, his general whose name was Yoah. Now Sheva ben Bichri, after rebelling or claiming to rebel, or making these claims and, and approaches against David, runs away to a city. If I'm not mistaken, the name of that city was Avela. And he finds his way into the city and Yoav comes and he besieges the city. And as, he's, uh, as he uh, lays siege against this city, there's a smart woman in that city who understands the circumstances. She t- speaks to Yoav and then she speaks to the people and she understands, if we don't hand over Sheva ben Bichri, 
this Yoav, Yoav ben Seruya, the, the general of David, will enter and kill us all until he finds him. Or he'll enter and kill us all even if he does find him. Instead, we should hand over the life of the Sheva ben Bichri to Yoav, and indeed that's what she does. And she's not, and they're not criticized for so doing. And so Rashi, wondering aloud, says, wait a second, how's that possible? Why were they permitted to do that? Why do we look at that positively? After all, that was nefesh nefesh. We saved the lives of the people in the city by killing another person's life. Are we really going to scale one versus many? Is that really going to be? We don't do that. What's that? So, so, so Charlie has determined he's guilty. Who said he's guilty? He didn't get a trial. Rashi quotes, Rashi quotes from Tosefta two separate answers. His second answer actually accords with you, Charlie, but it's quite, quite the Hidush. I guess you're the Mehadesh over here. The second answer is that we consider Sheva ben Bichri Mored ben Malchut. We consider him a rebellious person who, in turn, and this is the Hidush, were able to kill. You know, you don't just kill a Mored ben Malchut unless you enter them into court, unless you judge them and determine that. But as a result of the dangerous situation coupled with his status as a Mored bin Malchut, that's the halakha according so to that. If somebody, if somebody went to a house and said, listen, I'm going to attack a house with hundreds of people, but I want Mr. X, you have to send out Mr. X? So one second, if it's Mored bin Malchut, <laughs> yes, no, this is not a Mored bin Malchut circumstance. The oh, second okay. answer, so second answer. answer, the first answer goes as follows. If you can and will determine, as it was over there, that there's, the, the, it's either, uh, let's call it, how many people you have in the house? 10. 10 plus 1 versus 1. Again, 10 plus 1 versus 1. So that's the question. If it's certainly going to be the case that Sheva ben Bichri will be killed together with us, so over here it's not a 1 versus many, it's a 1 plus many versus 1. That was the case. However, if there's any chance that Sheva ben Bichri himself would have escaped, even though we're all going to take the bullet in our heads as they're searching for him, we're not allowed to hand him over. The question, that's right, the question is, technically speaking, you know, again, there was no way of, if, if, should you shoot down, for example, this is the way I've talked about it in classes in the past, should you shoot down Alpi Halakha, the uh, plane that's uh, going to uh, crash into the Twin Towers. In such a circumstance, certainly they're going to ground this plane in one way or another. So everyone on that plane is going to be grounded and killed. The question is, are they going to be killed together with the people in the Twin Towers and all the rescuers and so forth? Now, if that's the circumstance, according to this Tosefta, again, the question is a little bit more complicated than that. A few other sources, what? You shoot the plane down. Now, the second answer of Mored ben Malchut, not as simple, but the first answer fundamentally, and Harambam, in fact, has that approach in, in his Mishneh Torah, would be that you shoot down the plane, again, specifically because you've determined that this plane uh, is going to crash no matter what. They don't know, I think they didn't even know how to, to, to land the plane, right? They had no was, such... Was Yoav in his right to threaten the whole town? It's an interesting question. All right, we're not at questioning that in Tosifta. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe he po- maybe he saw this individual as posing. I'm, I'm not simple. I don't, the question more is on the outcome and circumstance. I'm not certain. All right, says the Gemara. All right, so that's that's what we had. We resolved this issue for Rav Huna, the attack of Rav Hasta on him. Says the Gemara. Maybe we can support. We could be proof for Rav Huna. Again, who's Rav Huna? Rav Huna claims that when there's a pursuer, they don't 
don't need warning. You kill them irrespective of a warning. Here's the statement in the Beraita. If you see, you happen upon, you walk outside, it's Avenue U, it's Avenue J, wherever you live, it's Norwood Avenue, and there's someone pursuing against the, uh, pursuing after another one. Terrible circumstance. Omerlo, stop the guy, or as he's running, say to him or her, you know, the person you're running after is a Jew. And he's part of our covenant, meaning he's not a mumar, he's not an individual about whom we're not going to go to uh, extents to save them. So the Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah says about mumarim, if they're a mumar, la'avodat kochavim, you're moridin velo ma'alin. But anyway, so your statement over here is, look at who you're about to, and after all, the Torah teaches us and tells us, shofech dam ha'adam, if there's a person, this is the derasha in this context, if you're about to, uh, or, or you are going to, or, or did spill the blood of another person, ba'adam damo yishafech, you, uh, your blood in turn is, uh, is, is spilled. Amrat Torah, the Torah is instructing us in, in that circumstance. Hasil da moshel moshel The Torah is telling us to save the blood of one with the blood of the other. Again, what's the circumstance? A pursuer is going after the, uh, the pursued, and you are the uh, bystander. You're the person who walks by and sees it happening. Warn the person as you see them doing so. Now here's the important point. You might say to yourself, if you don't have Perush Rashi, if you don't have whatever other commentary, you might say, oh, that's a proof against Ravuna. You see, you had to issue a warning. But it's not that you had to issue a warning. There's a significant absence over here. In general, when you issue a warning in halakha, it's not only a warning, but it's an acceptance of the warning. There needs to be a kabbalat atra. The person who's warned needs to say, I understand what you're saying. I accept it. And afal pichen, this is what I'm doing. And as a result of that being absent from this statement, all you do is issue the warning. Clearly, the warning is not significant. You don't actually need a warning. Otherwise, you couldn't kill the guy in a regular circumstance, lo aleinu, person's mehalil shabbat, you walk by outside the house and you see them doing X, Y, and Z and you give them a warning and they say, take, take a hike. And now we're living in a time of rabbinical courts in which they could put to death, you bring them to Beit Din of 23. I gave him a warning and I saw him do it and there's two witnesses, they said, did he accept the warning? He said, no, 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 he told me to take a hike. I'm sorry, we can't put him to death. We can maybe punish him, we can't put him to death. Over here, there's no acceptance of the warning. Why issue the warning at all then? Says Yad Rama in explaining this in the Gemara. He said, maybe that'll deter him. That's only in order to be a deterrent. Maybe it'll convince him. Now that you caught him in the act, just tell him not to do it. Tell him the severity of the action. But he doesn't need to accept it. You see, it's a proof for Ravuna. Ravuna said, you don't need a warning. You then put a bullet in his head. He's the pursuer. You're killing him in such a circumstance. But he didn't accept the warning. Ravuna told us you don't need a warning in a case of Rodef. That's a nice proof for him. Answers the Gemara. It's a beautiful proof. However, we do have a mahloket amongst Tanaim in general in our Shabbat case, in any and every other circumstance, whether you need a Kabbalah Tatra. I was telling you the opinion of Hachamim. We were assuming the majority opinion. However, this statement might be the minority opinion. Who's the minority opinion? Hahi, Rabbi Yosef Rabbi It's the opinion of Rabbi Yosef Rabbi because his opinion is that Tanya Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Haver en Sarich Atra'a, Lefi Shelo Nitena Atra'a, Ela Levchin, Ben Shogeg Lemezid. According to Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehuda, in general and always, there does not need to be an acceptance of a warning. To the extent that if you're a Haver, 
Hader is a reference to Talmud Hacham. The Gemara Masech Bava Batra says the reason we refer to Talmud Hachamim as Hader is because of, or along the lines of the Pasuk in uh, Shir Hashirim, Hayoshevet Baganim, Haverim, Makshivim Lekolech Hashmi'ini, right? Haverim, Hader is in this context refer, a reference to a Talmud Hacham. It's, it's, it's opposite of Am Haaretz, it's Haver. Anyway, the statement here of Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yudah goes as follows If you're a Haver, you're a Talmud Hacham, you don't need any warning at all. Uh, we don't need to tell you anything. Why not? Because you know the law. You're a Talmud Hacham. But I'm a Halil Shabbat. I forgot. No, you didn't forget. You're a Talmud Hacham. You know what you're doing. If you're not a Talmud Hacham, and, and as a result, we need to be Mavhin. We need to distinguish between Shogeg and Mezid. All you need to do is issue a warning. You don't need an acceptance of a warning. But that halacha, according to Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yudah, is not only by Rodef, it's by everything. It's by Shabbat, it's by Avodah Zarah, it's by any and every circumstance. As a result, you can't bring a proof from this statement in the Beraita. Again, what was the attempted proof? The attempted proof went as follows. You see, here's a Rodef, there was a warning, and there was no acceptance of the warning. Clearly, Rav Huna is right. You don't need to give a warning to a Rodef. Can't bring a proof from there. Because maybe that's the opinion of Biosebir Biudar. Biosebir Biudar in general, across the board, says you never need to accept a warning in any circumstance, not only in the Rodev situation. To the extent that if you're a Haver, you don't even need a warning. Forget about acceptance of a warning, you don't even need a warning at all. So we can't bring a proof because we could always argue that Biraita is, is, is the opinion specifically of the minority opinion, that of Biosebir Biudar. But wait, says the Gemara, Tashema. Perhaps we have an opposite proof. Maybe we can bring a proof against Rav Huna. Against Rav Huna. Remind me, Rav Huna's opinion is Rodef You see someone pursuing, no need to stop them and give a warning. Rodef. If there's a pursuer who's running after another person, and it's very clear their intention. You look at their eyes, they're blood red. They're screaming how they're going to kill this guy. They're brandishing a big gun, whatever, a loaded gun. You know exactly the situation. It's clear, and you can't do anything to save the situation other than killing the pursuer. Amar lo, what you should say to him is, Re'eh, she Israelu, uben beritu. So far identical to what we saw a moment ago. If in turn the pursuer says, Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. He doesn't say, I accept the death penalty. He doesn't say, I'm accepting the circumstance. He says, yeah, I know. Effectively, what I mentioned to you in the earlier case of, take a hike, go fly a kite. I know, who cares? Patur. Patur, patur means, it sounds like you can't kill him. Rav Huna, you told me, patur sounds like, certainly the one who's patur is the person who's, who's pursuing, the rodeh. It sounds to us like patur means you're not allowed to kill them. No, 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 can't be. Mutar, yeah, yeah, yeah. So wait a second, it's patur. You're not allowed to kill him. He's off the hook. Why so, Ravuna? You told us. <laughs> Just because he said, because he didn't accept the hatra, but Ravuna, you said he doesn't need a hatra ever. How do you explain this case? It's an explicit beraita against you, Ravuna. Answers the Gemara. If alternatively he says, he says, oh, that's right. And on condition of that, knowing with full knowledge and acceptance of the death penalty, Hayav, in such circumstances, Hayav. Well, that being the case, says the Gemara, Ravuna, we have a question on you. 
Rav Huna, you told us Rodef and Sarichatra. Answers the Gemara, one of two answers. First answer, La Tzericha Deka'e Bitre Ibre De Nahara De La Mase Asule Ma'ika De Ba'e Ituye Lebedina Bedina Ba'ehatra'a We'll read the words inside in a second, but first I'll tell you outside. It goes as follows, the Gemara, it suggests that the patur and hayav, not about who it's going on, Jesse, but rather in what circumstance and how are you killing this pursuer? We were assuming you're killing the pursuer. You are. The bystander's killing the pursuer. Are you allowed to kill him or not? Says Ravuna, that's not the case. If you are the bystander and have the ability to kill him and that's your way of saving the other person's life, go ahead and do so. No, 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 he needs to accept the warning. He only needs to accept the warning if your plan is, you say, listen, I can't save that guy's life. I'm not gonna be able to kill him. But the best I can do is I can punish him after the fact by bringing him to court. What type of situation is that? I mean, we can argue you're unarmed. You don't have a weapon in order to get him. The Gemara gives it even better. Ka'e bitre ibre de nahara. Tire means two. Ever we know from Abraham, means from the side of the river, nahara. And the reference is the pursuer and the pursued are on one side of the river and you're on the other side of the river. As great as your gun might be or your bow and arrow, whatever it is, you can't reach him from where you are. As a result, you know there's no way of saving that guy's life. You're in the midst of seeing a person's life. Life lost. The best you can do is to shout across the river and to say to him, listen, what you're about to do is prohibited. And technically speaking, I can kill you, but the court going to kill you? Or do you understand what you're doing? If in that circumstance he says, you take him to Bedin, and he needed to have a hatra'ah with a warning that was accepted. If he doesn't accept it, patur. But it's not, has no bearing on our situation. Our situation was rodef. If you're the person who's looking to save by killing the pursuer, do you need to issue a warning? Certainly not, but this Beraita says you do. This Beraita is talking about you couldn't save him. As a result, what were you able to do? Bring him to court. For court, of course, you need a warning. Our court system, according to halacha, always needs a warning. It's not an in-the-moment decision, a blink circumstance in which you know you need to save the person's life. This, you're going to have to settle it down in court. They're going to have to judge. They're going to have to see the witness, to hear the witnesses and see the evidence and so forth. There needs to be a hatra. Again, says the Gemara. Absolutely does. Why wouldn't he need a warning? He needs a warning like any other death penalty in court. You can't kill him. You'll incarcerate him. You need two witnesses, of course. Of course. It's only talking about one guy. It's it's absent from the from the. Okay, every time we're gonna go through. I mean, this this comes. Out, we will never. We, we generally speaking do not go through every detail every time we so. You know, reminds me of the Mishnayot in Masechet Kiddushin. Always say if the person says Hareat Mikudeshili Al Menat on condition. If he says Hareat Mikudeshili and so on and so forth. So I got married, and uh, I, was, I was under the chuppah, my father assumed I knew, them, you know, I know, I know, I've learned Masechet Kiddushin, I know the stuff. So I held the ring, and I said, Hareat mekudesh eli kedat Moshe v'Yisrael. And the rabbis under, under the chuppah all yelled right away, B'taba'atso, b'taba'atso, I was missing words. I didn't say Hareat mekudesh eli with this ring. Now, why didn't I do so? Because the Mishnayot never say B'taba'atso. Why don't the Mishnayot? Because it's short-handed. The Mishnayot assume you know that. So, you know, there, there I was, the Talmudic uh, scholar of sorts or whatever I knew that I was embarrassed completely you know my father assumed I knew how to say it you have to actually be at weddings to know how you know to pay attention to that and actually know what's going on not learn the Mishnayot because the Mishnayot 
make it shorter and cut it out as a result over here as well. That's why I mentioned that. We don't tell you every time that there were two witnesses. We assume you know that, you realize that, and you're not a yo-yo like me. Anyway, says the Gemara over here, so again, so says the Gemara, perhaps the case is specifically three lines from the bottom. He's standing, or they are standing, on the two sides of the river. That you cannot, you cannot save the pursuer by yourself. You're not able to kill the, the, the pursuer and save the other. Ma'ika, what are you able to do? You're able to come to betin. Bedina, if you enter into the court, they need a warning. And that's our answer to this situation. Alternatively, says Rafuna, you know something? Maybe it's a mahloket. Maybe there's two opinions. Maybe I have one opinion, that Rodefen Sarikhatra, but that Biraita has a different opinion. <laughs> You're disagreeing with a Biraita? Do you have a Biraita you can point to, Ravuna? Or alternatively, you can say, Ravuna would tell you, would say and do say, like the opinion on the Baraita we saw earlier on the page that I told you we're going to come to in our last line. If you recall, in the circumstance of Mahterit, that was our Mishnah, after all. Hababa Mahterit, the person who's tunneling into another person's house. The Baraita said to us, but it's not only if you're caught in the tunnel. The Torah says, Imba Mahterit No, Yimatseh, Mikol Makom, anywhere. So the Inkem, why did the Torah say Mahterit? Two answers. Either, Dibrat Torah that was one, the first Baraita. Rov Ganavim Misuyim Ba Mahterit. You're generally going to find them tunneling into the house. Alternatively and fundamentally, second Baraita said, Mahtartoz, Oyatrato. If he did all that Torah, said Rashi, put all that effort and energy into tunneling in, he's well aware of the circumstance and as a result, he doesn't need a hatra. Says Rav Huna, I go with that opinion. Over there, the Baba Mahter would be considered a rodef. His opinion, that Beraita tells you the Rodef doesn't need a hatra'ah. Mahtar tozo I maintain that opinion. You brought me a Beraita which seems to go differently, that the person needs to accept the warning. That's not my Beraita. I have my Beraita and that's a different Beraita. We can have a Mahloka between Beraitot. I go with B, you go with A. That's the final lines here in the Gemara. It's more than just the deterrent. According to it, hatra'ah is the acceptance of death by the individual. That's, that's, that's what it needs to be. Has, has it all fit with boy? They're coming into your, to your home. In such a circumstance, a goy does not need a hatra at all. Okay. Yeah, so there's no question. Yes. Yeah. What about yeah. you going to kill a goy? Two or anyway, so. Yeah, so. You know it. He's got a gun, yeah, in such a circumstance, it's a, you, you, uh, all right, we'll deal with, I mean, we're going to, it'll come up here a little bit, I'll make sure that I bring it up on the sugya of, of, of Rodef, because this was just a side sugya, I'll make certain to bring it up. Let's just begin Rodef very briefly here on Daf Ayin Gimal. Effectively, what we were dealing with on Daf Ayin Bet was Baba Mahteret. This got entered in at the end a little prematurely. We really wanted to talk about Rodef here, starting with the Mishnah Daf Ayin Gimal, but we brought it up because of Rav Huna, who was going to end with those words of Mahtatozo Yatrato. This Mishnah begins with the following words. The following list of people, and the Gemara will quote a Beraita, which expands the list somewhat significantly. You are Matsilin Otan Benafshan. You save them 
with their life. Well, let's just read the first one for, for now. The first one is the most significant for us based on what we were just discussing. If a person is pursuing another to kill them, in such a circumstance, you kill them with their life. You kill who with whose life? And who are you saving? Rashi suggests, and Tosafot supports it, but then asks a question on it, that we're dealing with saving, ironically, the pursuer with his life. You're not saving him, you're killing him. Says Rashi, you're saving him from the sin. Why do you interpret it like that? Well, you'll see that the end of the Mishnah, the end of the Mishnah talks about the contrast case. It says, a person who's running after an animal in such a circumstance, and matzilinoto benafsho. Now, when we talk about animals, the assumption says Tosafot, we're not talking about saving the animal, nothing against animal rights. But technically speaking, in the Mishnah, when you're talking about saving another, you're not going to be talking about saving the animal. So what matzilin would you be talking about in the context of the animal, if not the life of the pursuer? As a result, Rashi's understanding is you're saving the pursuer, the chaser, the murderer, from the sin of murder by killing them. That's the first introduction. The second introduction is the Gemara will seek a source for this. The Gemara will come up initially with and then the Gemara will go back and forth what the proper source is asks Tosafot in the Dibura that's the third one on the page we have a source for this excuse me the Beraita said that if the pers- if, if someone's in someone else's home and you the next door neighbor the guy on the street sees them in the home you're allowed to kill them it doesn't need to be the homeowner, remember? You would have thought to say only the homeowner, hey, he's Kim Lebegave, and so on and so forth. No, no, the halacha is anyone else. So we know the halacha. Brodev, we've been there, done that. Says Tosafot, that would be permission. This comes to the conversation we had earlier, Jared, once or twice. That's permissibility. The fact that someone sees another person running into someone else's house, that you're allowed to strike them, that's permissibility. You're allowed to strike them. This Mishnah, and in turn the source in the Gemara, another source is telling you it's a mitzvah. You're commanded to save the life of the other. Now that's not to say, and significantly so, I'll tell you now, and we'll discuss it in the Gemara later on, that you kill them all on under all circumstances. You kill them if there's no other way of saving. That's certainly so. It's almost explicit in the Torah. In la moshia, in the context of na'araham orasa. You only do it if there's no other way of stopping them. In other words, if you could take out their arm or their leg or something else, in such a circumstance, you'd do so in order to save as well. But this Mishnah begins for us. We'll see the next two tomorrow. Amen, amen.